battle for Middle-earth is about to begin. Where do you travel to find Middle-earth? Fight the shadows of Angmar. Who created the dwarves? I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. Why are elves immortal? You will linger on in darkness and in doubt. As nightfall in winter that comes without a star. What is the ultimate evil of Sauron? Join me on a quest for answers through the books, the movies, and the games that tell us the legendary adventures of hobbits, dwarves, men, and elves in Tolkien's Middle-earth. Hello and welcome back to Middle-earth. This is a special episode of our series where we travel through Middle-earth. This is our Christmas episode. Joining me... On my travels today is Inge. Hey, Inge. Hello, Father. We are in a very cold environment here. It is snowing in the distance. I can see mountains. Uh, there are uh, all sorts of snowy trees uh, on our left in front of us. What is this area? Where are we? Yeah, we are in a, in an area that it's not easily accessible. So you need to get uh, get a special horse from uh, from Bree to to go there. And we are in, uh, in in Frost Bluff, and Frost Bluff is uh, located west of Avondine. So, if you're not familiar with the geography of the um, Middle Earth, you have the Shire, all near and dear to, to our hearts. And north of the Shire is Avondine, and west of the Shire is that's there's a big uh, landmass uh, that's uh, human, and um, no, in the north area of that, that's where Frost Bluff is. And so it's, it's, it's south, south, south of Forachel, which is Forachel, yeah. which is this big snowy area where it's even colder than here. Yeah, that's the that's basically the North Pole. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it is um, it is an area. I think this is one of the most western parts of Middle Earth. At least I I don't think we've ever ventured this far west. Uh, well, except for Ered Lewin. Perhaps. Yeah, Ered Lewin is uh, further west. In, in, and to the west of Ered Lewin, there's the Grey Havens where you sail off to, to the um, yes. Valinor. But we've never been able to get there. No. This area is surrounded by uh, mountains which make it very inaccessible and kind of isolated from the rest of Middle Earth. But fortunately for us, there seems to be a small town straight ahead of us and uh, well I, I, I propose that we just walk there and explore this settlement and uh, I see some lights burning there and some campfires as well so it's probably going to be a lot warmer than out here in the open so uh, let's just let's just walk there it is by the way uh, very interesting that uh, Christmas as a season is very dear to uh, to J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of uh, The Lord of the Rings and uh, and The Hobbit. Um, he actually wrote a whole series of letters to his children when he was still a young man and a young father, in which he details the stories of Father Christmas, who, in a way, could be part of Middle Earth. I, I feel because his his character and the stories that uh, Tolkien. Uh, tells his children um, 
have a lot of elements that we see returning in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings, and that became part of the fabric of Middle-earth. And, and today we want to share a few of those stories with you because it's, it's a, a part of, of Tolkien's legacy that is very unknown to uh, most of you. And I think that, that uh, a lot of the Tolkien fans might disregard this or discard it as children's material. But you got to keep in mind that The Hobbit too was uh, uh, started as, as a children's story and then later on just started growing and developing and, and became this epic story that we all know and love. And it's a, it, I think it's going to be interesting as a journey today in this special Christmas episode to explore those very early roots of, um, of Middle-earth in the stories of Father Christmas. Now, we've, uh, we've appro- we're approaching the main entrance, I think, of uh, Frost Bluff, which by, by itself is already a very cold, wintry name, Frost Bluff. And uh, here on, on my right side is a fire and a few horses. There is a... Uh, Dawson Berwick, who is a horse trader. And I have to say, these horses look gorgeous. Do you have a wintry horse like that, Inge? I do have a, a horse from Forkel, yes. <sighs> these are beautiful. I wish these were for sale. They are. Are they really? Yes. Oh, I gotta get myself one of those. Uh, I'm, I'm... If you work for the, for the people in Frostbluff, yes. then uh, you, can, you can buy a horse from them. I definitely have to offer them my services because uh, this is so much. Although I'm a dwarf, so the only thing I can ride is a pony. And usually these these ponies don't look as elegant as these beautiful horses uh, here outside the main gate. Uh, the, the main gate itself is uh, consists of two stone pillars. This is definitely human architecture, not dwarvish like uh, Eret Lewin. And they decorated the place. It's, I, I guess it's Christmas here too. Uh, there is a, a nice piece of cloth in blue and red fabric that hangs uh, in between those two pillars. And even some, uh, some uh, what is it? The, the, the plant there. The some holly. Holly. Yeah. Uh, it's nice, nicely draped. And, uh... I love it. I really love it. So let's walk inside and see... Uh, what's going on here in this town. So uh, on, on our left is uh, a big building. Uh, inside it looks very warm. There is some, uh, uh, some light streaming from the windows. Uh, but outside, you know, the rooftops are covered in snow and there's, uh, there are, um, there's ice hanging from the... Yeah, icicles everywhere. Icicles from the side of the roof, indeed. Here's another fire. There's some, uh, some hobbits even. That ventured all the way to uh, to this part. This this is uh, Mary Sendwin Sendown Sandy Downs, and this looks like a hobbit. Yeah, she she looks very cool. Oh, she's uh, warming her her hands and uh, rubbing her hands together, uh, and 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 just trying to keep moving because it is indeed very very cold. And you can probably already hear the fireworks in the distance. So because it is a very festive day today, some people are celebrating that with very colorful uh, fireworks. And and it's still in the middle of the day, so you can't see them uh, very clearly yet. But I I assume that once it gets uh, 
darker and evening falls, uh, this will be quite a sight to behold. Um, by the way, Inge, the, the fireworks are uh, uh, one of the major elements of a lot of these letters that, uh, that Tolkien wrote to his children in the name yeah. of Father Christmas. It seems to me like in every, every other story, there seems to be either a display of fireworks or more, more uh, uh, usual, uh, an accident with fireworks. Yeah, usually involving a polar bear. Yes. So and he's, he's kind of accident prone, the, the polar bear. So, yeah. Father, Father Christmas, uh, according to um, uh, Tolkien's uh, stories at least, lives on the North Pole. Um, and his main companion in the beginning of these letters, of these stories, is a polar bear. Not the only bear in the area. There are lots of other bears that uh, uh, enter the stories later on. But this bear is, a, is helping him with the presents and uh, really, really uh, uh, important in the whole, let's say, the economical part of, of, the, of Christmas. Without him, none of the presents would get uh, uh, delivered. Of course, Father Christmas also has his reindeer and a sled, and uh, there's some gorgeous pictures in there because uh, J.R.R. Tolkien not only wrote these these letters by hand in different colors, and uh, but he also uh, just designed a lot of uh, pictures yeah. and drawings of of the stories that he was telling. Yeah, so Santa would uh, send, uh, it's not Santa, but Father Christmas. Father Christmas, yes, it's not Santa sorry, Claus. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, he he would uh, he would tell a story, and and to to illustrate a story, quite literally, he would he would draw a picture. And I also think the reason that the the firecrackers are um, mentioned a lot is that Christmas crackers are. Uh, I th- I think I'm. Um, uh, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of a common gift for ki- for children for Christmas in their stockings. Oh, okay. Uh, well. I, I don't know any children that don't like firecrackers and fireworks. Uh, but it is, of yeah. course, an element uh, that uh, returns in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings because Gandalf is a yeah. master when it comes to fireworks. Uh, he even looks a little bit, little bit like Father Christmas. He's very, very old, has a long white beard or gray beard. So, yeah. Although I think in, in, in Middle-earth, uh, at least in the chronology of Middle-earth, Gandalf is even older than Father Christmas because we learn yeah. in one of the letters uh, of Father Christmas, written by Tolkien, that he is actually, and he wrote this letter in 1925, and then in that letter he says, I am 1925 years old, that is why my handwriting is so shaky. And if you look at the way he wrote those letters, it's indeed very shaky handwriting. So it's not just the cold, it's also his old age. So Father Christmas, yeah. according to Tolkien, is born... Uh, on on the same well, I think it's actually he's born the day after Christmas because he he tells um, I think Christopher Christopher so Christopher Tolkien in one of the letters that his feast day is not Christmas itself but Saint Stephen's Day which is the second day of Christmas it's uh, Saint Stephen is uh, the first martyr of uh, the Christian Church I uh, wasn't he a deacon as well. Yeah, that's what I heard. He, he and, uh, apparently was ordained a deacon, and there was there are traces from that uh, in the Bible. And of mm. course, what the, the the work of a deacon is um, mainly also to, to to take care of the poor. Yes. So to do yes. the diaconate, 
to, yes, to, to well, to, to support the, the widows and the children and the poor and the sick. And uh, so, in a way, that is what Father Christmas does as well. And I was touched to read in, in some of these letters um, how Father Christmas tries to help during the war. Because uh, yeah. the, the, Tolkien continues to write these letters every year. And then when the war breaks out in Europe, um, Father Christmas himself also uh, is suffers the consequences of that or, or sees the distress and, and how much that brings about poverty and, and distress. And he tries to do as much as he can to alleviate that, uh, um, that hardship. And so, in a way, Father Christmas, at least in the type of work that he does, is very similar to St. Stephen. Uh, fortunately, they didn't stone him to death. Otherwise, it, Christmas would be very very boring <laughs> for a lot of us. Um, I want to walk um, to this part of the main square here um, in uh, in uh, Frostbluff because I am attracted by uh, a couple of snowmen that are <laughs> standing on the side here. One has a hat. These are very classic snowmen, very similar to the ones that we build ourselves in uh, in our world. Oh, are. there's even an unhappy one, which is uh, fallen apart, has fallen apart. Yes. <laughs> and one of them, this one, uh, is carrying a staff. So he might be Gandalf, who knows? <laughs> or a yeah, but there's also a wizard's hat snowman. Maybe that's Gandalf. You, you don't know. <laughs> Could be. And there is a small theater here. Um, and these two men, Andy Brown and Jeffrey Bloomer, are uh, standing in front of it. And it's yes. a, a small outdoor theater. Fortunately, uh, there's some some uh, uh, fires here as well to warm the crowd um, a red curtain and in the background there seems to be um, a depiction of what I think is, isn't that Smaug? Yeah, that's, that's Smaug that's the Lonely Mountain It's a Lonely Mountain. And you see, you see Bart the Bowman uh, shooting him out of the sky. Yes and what's and that fire it, below by the lake? I think that's that Dale or that maybe it's, it's, it's part of the the, 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 the Story where Gandalf sets the trees on fire. Or could it be, it's near could the it lake, be lake Town? So I think well, it's well, or or Lake Town. Or Lake Town it could also be Lake Town. Yeah. And there is um, there's also a door on the right side. Do you see that just underneath uh, Bartimo Bowman? That might be the secret door that leads to the Lonely Mountain. You know the extra entrance. Yes, uh, or the main entrance. Yeah, I don't know. I love there's this. There's a big road leading to it, so I gather it's the main entrance to uh, could be. Erebor. Yes. So then it could be it could be Dale actually because that's not too far from the entrance. And there is a, a also um, what looks like a sun or something, an ornament hanging in front of it. Yes, and that they do they would do that in in, in the Middle Ages uh, because if you would simulate a sunset and sundown, they will have a, a something that remember uh, reminds of you of the sun, suspended, and you could uh, uh, crank it up and crank it down. So oh, you could cool! Simulate sun movements. So the the uh, creators of this small theater were inspired by those medieval uh, traditions. There is also um, a, a small pedestal here on the left of the uh, of the theater where I think the the narrator can just read uh, the stories. And uh, you know, this might be uh, also the place where they would perform the these these Christmas stories. Why not? You know, they might have been told in in Middle Earth as well. Um, speaking of these these Christmas letters, 
Um, the first one was written by J.R.R. Tolkien in 1920. His uh, oldest son, John, was only three years old by then. And then for 20 years, uh, after Michael and Christopher and Priscilla were born, he continued to write those stories. And the, the letters became more and more elaborate and contained uh, new elements over time. And when the children grow up, the stories also kind of cater to their advancing age and become more and more like The Hobbit. Um, and so at first we get to know Father Christmas. Oh, what was that? Someone doing something here in the background? Did I miss something? Yes, so someone uh, threw a snowball at us. Oh, oh great. So the, um, the, the first thing we... Uh, uh, we hear about Father Christmas, is not only does he have a polar bear, but he also uh, has a brother. And whereas Father Christmas is always dressed in red, his brother apparently only wears green clothes. Um, I think we can, we can say who that brother is. It is actually Nicholas. And it is the Saint Nicholas that we know um, in, uh, in this part of Europe where that is uh, a, a kind of a similar tradition to, to Father Christmas or Santa Claus in the United States in North America. And um, Nicholas, his, Father Christmas's brother, um, are both, he and his brother are both named after Saint Nicholas. At least that's what he explains in one of his letters. And Saint Nicholas, of course, is this uh, important saint um, from originally Myra. He was a bishop in Myra, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. And a bishop who was proclaimed a saint because he was uh, uh, a very holy man, as you can imagine. But one of his uh, characteristic actions was that he would always help the poor. And one of the ways in which he did that was by uh, throwing... Uh, gold into the houses of the poor. And there are many legends about St. Nicholas. Uh, one of those, those legends tells the story of a, a home where a father is so desperate that he can't protect his young younger daughters anymore. And so the, these younger daughters are, are uh, risking to be taken away um, and, uh, and end up in, in prostitution even. And so St. Nicholas saves the day, saves these daughters by by throwing gold in their houses so they can pay off uh, their debts and, uh, and, and it saves those children. And that's where this whole tradition of the gift-giving comes from. And so both uh, Father Christmas and his brother, his green brother, uh, well, at least green clothes, um, have inherited that tradition from the original Saint Nicholas. And again, I think it's a wonderful way in which Tolkien um, merges the, uh, the 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 old Christian stories with the the, the imaginary uh, um, stories that that he well stories are are imaginary the imaginary world that he himself creates and I've never heard that I know that Father Christmas is also a character in uh, or actually Saint Nicholas um, uh, in in the works of of uh, C S Lewis and in the story of the wardrobe. Uh, and if you've seen the movie, then uh, you remember that Father Christmas uh, makes an appearance, looks very much like St. Nicholas, and is wearing green vestments. So something tells me that Tolkien and Lewis have been exchanging these ideas and, and perhaps were inspired by one another. And so I don't know if the green 
St. Nicholas uh, from these stories by Tolkien was taken from Lewis or the other way around, but it doesn't matter. It's uh, it's just lovely how uh, these how much these stories are compatible. And it's also interesting because in the, in the Netherlands, so in the part of Europe where we come from, St. Nicholas always is depicted in wearing red clothes. Yes. <laughs> and of course, in, in, in many American people in America know that Santa Claus is actually Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. Yes. And so he's also wearing the same red clothes. But also, um, some people in America, in the United States, also f- uh, celebrate St. Nicholas. Yes. And then you see, for, for example, the children being. Um, uh, make uh, being photographed with Saint Nicholas, who's wearing mm-hmm. white. So he goes. Uh, he's wearing uh, different kinds of colors um, yes. in different parts of the world. So that's interesting. I guess over time, fashion uh, changes. Um, so we are currently uh, walking through the one of the main streets of this little town, uh, Frost Bluff. Uh, there's some tables uh, on our right side with some food on it. So I guess that uh, when evening falls, this is a great place to gather together and. Uh, celebrate the holidays with uh, some good food and uh, I, I assume that hobbits are very interested in that <laughs> the um, the other thing that we learn from Tolkien's Father Christmas stories is that uh, both he and his brother have a father who is called Father Jule or Yule now this has to do of course with the tradition of Yule can you tell me a little bit about that uh, Inge? Yeah, Yule uh, is uh, still celebrated in the north of Europe, and, and it's, it's uh, very old. It comes from um, uh, old Germanic uh, traditions, mm-hmm. and um, so basically that would be uh, celebrated around a, a midwinter solstice, which is of course on the 21st of December. And um, so it, uh, it, it's about um, getting together, and they would go, would go to the temple, to the pagan temples. Uh, just to celebrate uh, that, that because they knew the light would return and, mm-hmm. and they would have a banquets and feasts and they would drink uh, so lots of um, the things we do for Christmas they did as well but in another, in another context yeah that's always uh, lovely to see how uh, the Christian tradition and the, 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 the Christian stories have also integrated a lot of the existing uh, midwinter solstice elements there are some scientists that, that uh, hold that actually Christmas is just a Christianized version of these old festivities, but I think that that is actually downplaying the importance of the Christian tradition a, a bit too much. Let's say that, that Christmas itself is adapting uh, its traditions to the local culture, which is something that faith often does. And um, since Yule, the Yule festivities were always about, you know, the light in dark days, that is very much also a central theme in the Christian celebrations of, of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Christ as the light of the world. He who wants to bring light, God's light, to the world and illuminate uh, the people that are in darkness. And, and that you find plenty of that uh, symbolism in, um, in, in the Gospels, especially in St. John, where it's, you know, we read that on the first day of Christmas. It's all about God. God's light in a world in a dark world and the darkness didn't want to receive that light etc etc so that those fundamental Christian themes are very important to Tolkien he himself was a very faithful Catholic and in the way he narrates the stories of Middle Earth 
the same battle between light and darkness uh, is is a recurring theme. And even in a very practical uh, way, remember the, the 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 whole journey through Moria, where basically the only light that they have is the light emanating from the staff of Gandalf, who himself is. <laughs> you know, very similar to Father Christmas. So you could say that in a way there there's a lot of there are a lot of parallels there with the the symbolism of Christmas. Even though, of course, as we know, Tolkien didn't want to create just a mere allegory uh, of of Christian stories when he wrote uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But the themes, the the ideals, the the virtues, the values um, that you find in in Middle Earth are very similar to the ones that you find in the Christian tradition. Yeah, you find them also in other traditions. For example, the light element is also in the Festival of Light, uh, celebrated by Hinduism or Hanukkah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. celebrated by the Jewish people. So it's it's not just a, a Christian, um, how you say that, um, takeover of you, but mm-hmm. it's 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 you see it in many cultures, even well, well, as far the... away as in India. So it's, it's, I think it's just it's part of our cultural fabric. I think yeah. this is so such core stuff like in the winter when it's cold you long for warmth when it's dark you need light that's what we as human beings uh, desire and in a way you know the the christian faith is is not it's not separate from what from our deepest desires and our, our needs and so it's not it's not it's not by accident that uh, the christian stories use this, this, those those fundamental symbols because you know that's our language right so um the Speaking um, of lights the yeah. lights turn just on and uh, it's getting dark and it's even cozier now uh i love the 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 little christmas lights actually i don't think that they're really lights but they look like small um pieces of ice that they strung together with um uh with wire and then uh the lights or those the, the the ice reflects the light of the fires and so it it, it it is almost like christmas lights but there's no electricity in middle earth of course now i i've been told inge that there is a theater in this town can you show yes, me the way yes there is cuz uh well we're talking it's about storytelling it's completely run by hobbits oh nice well hobbits like stories right is it this yes. building yes it's over here so it's a big it, actually all these buildings look very english to me Almost like a like a Charles Dickens type of environment. Yeah, so it's it's very um, white. So there's this white plaster with, with wood. Uh-huh. And if you would go to Elizabethan times, so in the 16th century, 15th mm-hmm. century, in England, this this is how buildings would look would have looked like. So it's 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 kind of time traveling. Nice. To middle in Middle Earth. So here is a female hobbit at the entrance. And it says G L O B E. Is that her name? Globe? No, that uh, Globe is 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 the company, the theater company. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, that 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 operates this theater. And of course, anybody who has a little bit of history from Britain yes. knows immediately if you talk theater and Globe, then you that's a reference to the Globe Theater. Which was run by Shakespeare and uh, and and his uh, theater company How in wonderful. England in the 16th century in the same era era as uh, as mm-hmm. when we uh, when these buildings are from. So it's kind of an, uh, another nudge to the English culture. Let me ask this uh, this Hobbit about glow. Um, what what is? Hello there, she says. The globe, she, she answers me, is the green lily orators, bards, and entertainers. 
Mr. Shakesborough put together an acting company to amuse his customers, and people liked it so much, he's taken it on the road. So, Mr. Shakesborough. Yes. Sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, great. Well, let's go inside and take a look at the Festival Theater. Lots of fireworks outside, as you can tell from the, from the noise. And uh, inside, oh, it's warm and cozy and very dark, of course, uh, because, again, no electricity at the time. Um, and I can hear some lovely music. So in this uh, first part, there's some tables here, some bookshelves, and a red carpet that leads me to the main area of the theater, which is a, a rectangular space with uh, red curtains, or red drapes on the left and on the right, a big fireplace on the right side, and uh, there are actually quite a few people watching um, a play that's uh, going on on the main theater. Uh, yes, it's, the play is about the disappearance of Matt Bilbo Baggins. Really? Oh, yes, it's, yeah, they're the talking Shire. about a party, and I see the party tree. Uh, at That's least a small theatrical version of the party tree. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, tea, the theater company has run into some oh, troubles. Yeah, people are throwing tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the, they, they were actually scheduled to, to perform another play, but that the, the, the actors got sick. So oh, it, no. It was cancelled. <laughs> so now um, they are recruiting... Um, people from the audience in before the play so oh, they the people gosh. from the audience could uh, are, are the actors yes and, um so they have to to, to perform this play so <laughs> if you're funny. an active and an, an active audi audience member <laughs> then uh, you will uh you will be recruited this is great and uh well th there is a, a drawing of the hills of the shire in the background um yeah this this is uh this is amazing there are few hobbits on stage though and everybody is mesmerized by the play itself. Well, the uh, this might be a good place to uh, talk a little there, bit more about are, those. There are also, also two critics. Um, yes, well, let, let's get to that later. But let's first uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Christmas letters again. So the, um, uh, the, the, the funny thing, what I, I thought <laughs> that uh, Tolkien introduced is the actual North Pole. Which, according to Father Christmas, is an actual pole. And, and if you look at the photos, it is this big, white, huge pole. And at one point, the polar bear even climbs all the way up to the pole because there's some wind and Father Christmas loses his hat and it gets attached to the top of the North Pole. The bear climbs into the pole. Of course, he's way too heavy. And so the pole breaks in two and smashes the house of Father Christmas. So he has to relocate and find himself another house. And its I never thought about that, about the North Pole being a real pole. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. And then um, uh, later on in the story, uh, they get joined by two helpers. Um, and I forgot their names, actually. They're two... They are nephews of... Nephews of, of uh, Father Christmas? Of the polar bear. Uh, it's the polar <laughs> oh, cubs. Uh, oh, my God. And they have Finnish names. Really? So it's... Um, oh, the, I, uh, the names escapes me. Very complicated Finnish names. So first he has um, only the polar bear to help him. Mm -hmm. Then both nephews help him. And much, much later he also gets a secretary. 
Which is who is which is an elf? Yes, yeah. Actually, there there's some elves later on in uh, in the story. And uh, with the arrival of the elves, we also see the introduction of the elvish writing. And uh, so this is something that is kind of introduced around the same time that Tolkien is writing his first Hobbit book. And uh, you can you can see a very interesting um, blend of the world of the Hobbit and uh, these stories of Father Christmas. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'm trying to find oh, the names of the polar bear's uh, nephews are Paksu and Valkotu- Valkotuka. <laughs> Valkotuka. And I guess they liked it very much um, so, because they stayed uh, with Father Christmas for the remainder of, uh, of the history. Yeah, Father Christmas was also always complaining about him because they would ate, eat his food. <laughs> yeah. And so humor is very, a very important part of um, uh, Tolkien's stories. It's something, of course, that The Hobbit is well known for. Um, but it's great to see the same kind of writing and the same kind of quirky humor um, in Father Christmas in the Father Christmas stories. And speaking of humor, uh, the the uh, you already mentioned the two critics that are uh, in this um, upper part of the theater <laughs> on the balcony. Yeah, yeah, they're two hobbits, and their names are uh, and they're watching the stage. Their names are Stetdor Proudfood and Waldo Tunley. <laughs> Of course, referring to the two old guys in uh, in in the Muppet Show, right? Yeah, Stetler and Waldorf. Yeah. Stetler and Waldorf, amazing. And so uh, I guess uh, they won't be throwing tomatoes, but uh, just throwing their harsh criticism to those uh, uh, those volunteer players. Let's go outside again and uh, see what else this little town has to offer. In the meantime, I'm going to take a look at my notes. Um, I love, by the way, I love the, the music also in the background. Very Christmassy. Um, at one point, um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the the house of Father Christmas gets besieged by goblins. And so apparently in his new house... Um, there is a, a very intricate system of caves and cellars underneath the house. So it's on, on the top of a cliff. And one day, the polar bear is missing. And we hear that he is actually being lured into those caves by the goblins who are imitating the sound of polar bears. And so he is very confused, and at one point he just gets totally lost. Now that too, of course, is something that later on Tolkien will integrate in uh, the story of the Hobbit and yeah. in uh, in the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it sounds uh, a lot like um, Bilbo Baggins getting lost in um, Goblin Town. Yes. Well, and then the whole impersonation of other characters is something that Gandalf does when he yes. tries to distract the trolls trying to slow them down before they eat the dwarves and, and Bilbo. Yeah, and first, because he, they have to relocate, you just mentioned that, uh, because of the, the, the polar bear uh, smashing the roof of this old house. Yes. So the the, the goblins initially appeared uh, in, the, in the caves under the old house, and the caves were there to, to, to storage all the presents of the whole world. Of course, oh, you need lots right. and lots of storage yes. for that, so that's why there are lots of ga- caves over there. 
so and, and, and apparently the uh, the goblins have been digging tunnels and 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 reassuringly Father Christmas says well they only will appear every 100 years so we so we we've now have um, fought them mm-hmm. and he hired the gnomes the gnomes yes to, the red gnomes to uh, to fight them and of course um, a gnome in in, in uh, is, is is what we call also a dwarf yes so the, so the ah. energy between dwarves and goblins is already visible how in, in cool the, so the, the the gnomes or the dwarves are helping father christmas who is very much like gandalf to defeat the goblins uh, you can't, can't you can't get any closer to the world of middle earth i think yeah, and later on it, it becomes uh, clear that there's goblin wars also uh, Yes. Uh, some some critics also uh, think that with uh, the goblins are kind of an um, personification of the German, um, tr- yeah, Germans crawling all over all of Europe, of course, in the mm-hmm. in the late 30s. Yes, yeah, the goblins become almost a symbol of the of the, of the Germans or the Nazis, I should say. Now here is how these goblins are, goblins are introduced. This is a letter from 1932, and uh, the. Uh, Apparently, the caves belong to Mr. Cave Bear. Uh, I guess that's another bear. It's not po- uh, the polar bear. And um, the polar bear found a hole in the side of a hill, went inside because it was snowing, and he slipped down a long slope, and a lot of rocks fell after him, and he found he could not climb up or get out again. But then, almost as, as at once, he smelled goblins, and he became interested and started to explore. Not very wise, because uh, goblins... Um, can't hurt him, but their caves are very dangerous. So he gets lost, and the goblins shut off all their lights and make uh, noises and false echoes. And then here's a, here's an interesting description of the goblins. Goblins, explains Father Christmas, are to us very much what rats are to you, only worse because they are very clever, and only better because they are because there are in these parts very few. Um, we thought there were none left. Long ago, we had great trouble with them. That was about 1453, I believe. But we got the help of the gnomes, who are their greatest enemies, and cleared them out. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, old polar bear is lost, and they set off together and try to find him and uh, <laughs> and, and bring him back to the light. And then I love it that that again that the the whole symbolism of light is what we need. Said cave bear to me. And then uh, Father Christmas has special sparkling torches that he uses in his deepest cellars, and uh, and they use use them to find polar bear. So again, it's this symbolism of light in the darkness, showing the way, and and in this case, rescuing the polar bear. Uh, very uh, again, very Christmassy symbolism. Yeah, I was wondering what what, what happened in 1453. So I, I looked it I th- up. I think it's the Great uh, Goblin War or something like that. But I mean in real life. Oh, in uh, real so life. Okay. It was the fall of Constantinople in 1453 oh. to the when the Byzantine Byzantine Empire Byzantine, fell. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. So there's a little bit of uh, of, of 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 human history yeah. uh, used here as well. So the goblins were uh, part of that as well, <laughs> according to Tolkien. Yeah, they were they were coll- collaborating with the Turks <laughs> or with the Ottomans. I don't know exactly. Mm, interesting. And then uh, the gnomes are called the Red Gnomes, uh, actually, by Tolkien. Yeah. I'm moving, uh, uh, moving ahead again, and uh, here are some stairs that lead down to a very merry uh, square here. People are dancing, and uh, some others are playing music. And this is a beautiful display of ice sculptures. 
So uh, there are some uh, enormous icy swans here in front of me. I don't know if this is ice or snow, but boy, do they look gorgeous, I have to say. Are swans animals that we um, also find in Middle Earth? Or yes, uh, indeed. We, um, we find them in Rohan. And we find them in the Brownlands uh, when um, when a company is going down the Anduin River. Mm-hmm. They, they see they see black swans uh, in in the Brownlands. Oh, really? Wow! And also, if you fa- visit Rohan, there there are some towns with with a big lake or a pond in the middle of of the town, and you will see swans swimming in the, in that pond as well. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Other creatures that are mentioned by Father Christmas and that are also later on part of the world of Middle-earth are dragons. And so apparently dragons are also part of um, at least Father, the world of Father Christmas and they're depicted in um, cave drawings. So at one point they uh, come across uh, big caves where I think it's the goblins that, that just made plenty of drawings uh, of all sorts of creatures, and and the dragons are uh, are one of the creatures that are depicted there. And, and Tolkien made uh, beautiful renditions of what these cave drawings looked like. Now, what's also interesting is that um, they find runes and ancient handwriting in these caves. And I think the polar bear starts to learn these languages, isn't it? Yeah, Arctic, Arctic, and other languages. And uh, of course, this uh, is is very much J.R.R. Tolkien's biggest biggest uh, passion. It's to create new languages. And um, he's always been fascinated by language and by uh, handwriting and, and grammar. And it's funny to see that when his children grow older, he starts to uh, integrate that in the stories of Father Christmas and actually uh, even writes down phrases in Elvish and in ancient Arctic, etc., thereby hopefully also uh, um, motivating his children to uh, uh, you know to 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 st- step in the footsteps of the of, his, of their father with these with yeah, these languages I remember there's um, the, the polar bear um, wrote wrote um, copied what the, what the goblins had written so there was a whole sheet um, or just sent uh, father Christmas one of one of them mm-hmm. of, of, of um, uh, goblin writing and, uh, and the children had to figure out what it meant. Oh, cool. So it's like so a, there was a kind of secret a key, language. <laughs> yeah, there was a key, a key to it. And he, he was, he was said, um, said, well, I'm not supposed to tell this, but you, you, you read this in columns from, from the bottom to the top, not, not across. And oh, then, cool. So in like, don't tell, don't tell Father Christmas I said that. You know? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, because the polar bear actually can write and his handwriting is very much, in the beginning, very much like some of the runes that we see in, uh, in in Middle Earth as well. And bit by bit, he gets better and better at writing, and he's much more verbose. So I'm walking out of the town here. I- I'm not sure if it's safe, Inge, to uh, go outside of uh, Frostbluff, but I won't just want to ride around uh, on my horse a bit in the snow and just, you know, we- we've only explored the town. And perhaps while traveling through... Uh, the area of Frostbluff, we can talk a little bit more about these stories. And I found an interesting segment about these alphabets and languages. Um, in uh, one of his letters, well, if you lead the way, I'll just follow you and uh, I can focus on the story. What, what is this um, tent here on our on our right side? What is this? 
It's a mushroom growing tent for the for the food. So there's an eating contest organized by the rich people of Frostbluff. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of going around the town and then trying to eat as much as you can. How cool! And so in order to 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 get the food for that, they have to bake pies and they have to bake bread. Uh, and uh, yeah, the the, the pe- they are recruiting people to gather the mushrooms and gather eggs. <laughs> and all the ingredients for the for the big feast. Too funny. So there's a, a tent of white cloth and then uh, two fires in the center and lots and lots of mushrooms growing here in uh, what looks like or what looks like on uh, on on half rotten tree branches or something. So um, we're on a very steep hillside here uh, with lots of uh, trees. Yeah, this this is where the the snow beasts are sleeping. Snow? Oh, there's a big one in the distance there. Yeah. Wow, these look very much like the ones that we encountered in the Misty Mountains. Yeah, but these are friendly. <gasps> look at that. They do look like the snow monsters, but they've they've got huge um, horns. Yeah, the sad thing is that um, the, the, the people from, uh, from Frostbluff want to celebrate Christmas. Yes. And they want everybody to participate, also the snowbeasts who are in hibernation right now. So, oh, no. Uh, so people are, are, are going around cheering at them to, to, to make them uh, uh, susceptible for the Christmas cheer. Uh-huh. And all of them are like, okay, uh, uh, go away now, and then I can back to, go back to sleep. Yeah, so, this one uh, walked like... Four four meters, and then he fell on his back again, and now he's he's sound asleep in the snow. <laughs> oh, there's another one there in between the trees, just dozing off. I see another building in the in the distance there, in the valley below. There is a small lake and a and a a bridge, and on the other side of the bridge. So it looks like a farm, or is this a watchtower? No, it's just a tower. It looks like this is kind of the mayor's town vault. So there has been an uproar in town about um, money disappearing, and uh, it, it turns out uh, that the mayor was uh, a little bit corrupt. Uh huh. So uh, <laughs> he put a guard in front of the of the vault. Yes, that's but, uh, this, uh, this yeah. Man. So the, the the poor people revolted and uh, they won. <laughs> guard Frostway is his name. <laughs> They all have very frosty names. And then uh, uh, circling around the lake are these strange uh, northern lights or these white fiery lights. Um, and I've come across these in Forakel as well. And they're pretty yeah. dangerous. Aren't they like snow ghosts or something? Oh, this is just wintry weather. So it's kind of a chill, wind, a wind chill. Okay, but these can be very dangerous, right? Yes, they can, but they, they, these are these are very weak. So, okay. um, so um, p- the mayor of uh, Frostbluff asked us to disperse of the wintry weather because, uh, yeah, if there's wintry weather and big bad, bad weather, the festivities in Frostbluff uh, are in danger because then you need to cancel. Yes. So uh, we are asked to disperse uh, th- those winters, <laughs> winter weather, so uh, the the feast can go on. <laughs> And, uh, well, the, the weather, of course, uh, is a very important element in the stories of J.R. Tolkien. And sometimes the weather even seems to have a mind on, on its own, uh, which is um, depicted more graphically, I think, or uh, has been stressed a bit more in, um, in the movies by Peter Jackson, where, you know, the, a guy like Saruman or a wizard like Saruman, he can manipulate the weather. But then there is Gandalf, who's much more like, you know, 
hey, if it if it rains and you want it to stop, you need another wizard because you know the the rain is going to stop when the rain is going going to stop. And so Gandalf is much more, you know, just. I I think he just is. He doesn't want to be in control. He's a, in that respect much more dependent on. Uh, what was that music? Oh, that's weird. Um, he, he's much more. Um, I think a, a Christian wizard in a way that you don't try to manipulate or you don't want to use strength or control or force, but you just uh, have you trust providence. And there's a bit of that in Gandalf's behavior as well. This uh, looks like a chicken farm here. Yes, this this is where they grow the chickens for uh, for the feast <laughs> and and and, um, and the eggs. Oh, and, poor chickens. Yeah, so it's the, it's a little bit like turkey dinner um, for Thanksgiving. So. There's and there's all I don't know about other countries, but for example in the Netherlands, there's always, uh, for example, um, uh, uh, how do you call it? Goose, uh, a traditional goose, meal yeah. for, for for Christmas. Also turkey. Also turkey, I think. Yeah. Now turkey is of course from um, native to North America. So mm-hmm. before North America was around, then there would be a goose. And if you, for example, uh, recall the Christmas Carol by uh, Charles Dickens. Yes. There's um, also the story of a poor family, and Mr. Scrooge is very uh, stingy, so he doesn't want—he he just um, doesn't want to help. And then he gets those dreams, and then the story ends with him buying a goose for the for the for the family, and he he ad- kind of adopts the the sick son of the family. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder what the elves eat at Christmas time. Probably just. You know, fruit and vegetables. <laughs> well, elves don't don't really celebrate Christmas. They don't have oh, of course. Christmas tide. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that yeah, it's only logical because uh, hobbits are mortal and men are mortal, so they have those seasonal fests. But I think uh, yeah. elves will get bored after it after a while. It's like yeah, that it will repeat until eternity. We just don't bother with it. Even though you know, Father Christmas has an elf. As a secretary, and some other elves join him later on in the in the story to help him. Um, and I, these are not the elves that we know from, let's say, our North North American Christmas stories. Um, so not like the the small ones that we see in Santa Claus, but these are the same type of elves that we find in in Middle Earth. And actually, their handwriting is even um, the same. There is there is this one letter where you see exactly the same elvish runes. Uh, uh, written by Tolkien, as we see in Middle-earth. Of course, at that time, he had already written The Hobbit and, and developed the elven language. His, his, his secretary elf is called Ilbereth. Yes, which rings a bell if you're a little bit familiar with the legendarium of, of Middle-earth, because Ilbereth is only one letter different from Elbereth. Yes. And Elbereth isn't, of course, one of the... Yeah, what, what is it? The kind of gods, uh, kind of um, person, So that's, it's, it's, which is being... Um, being ev- evoked by el- by elves mainly, mm-hmm. which is um, um, it's it's um, how you, how you say that? Elbereth. Um, it's it's the it's a, a, a the the Vala Varda, right? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it, he's worshipped um, by by el by elves, mm-hmm. and engraving the name on a square, for for example, uh, will prevent most monsters from attacking you when you are on that square. So the invocation of Elbereth is mm-hmm. a key. Uh, survival. So you, you need, yeah. to, and you cool. also, if there's something um, 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 very uh, dangerous to uh, to happen, they say, we'll say, by Elbereth. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So Elbereth is, is kind of a, um, it's the, the queen of Arda, right? And so she's, yeah. she's a protector. And, and in a way, queen, a, a saving figure. And it's, it's funny that in the story itself of The Lord of the Rings, um, Sam apparently is also familiar with that tradition because he suggests Elbereth as a password to Frodo after he frees him from the orcs in the Tower of uh, Sirith Ungol. Yeah. And so, uh, again, the, the invocation of the name of Elbereth, which, of course, is something also very biblical to invoke the name of, you know, of God yeah. to help you out, is something that Sam does here. And Elbereth uh, is, uh, that, that name is, is saving uh, at that time, or a, a symbol of, uh, of salvation. Now, this uh, Ilbereth um, is now very good at languages. So, in a way, I feel that in, in the later letters, it's almost as if Tolkien is using Ilbereth as his as a metaphor of himself in the stories. Because there, I think that, that Ilbereth is very much like Tolkien, so he knows he can write several alphabets now, writes Father Christmas, Arctic, Latin... Um, Greek, Russian, runes, and of course, Elvish. His writing is a bit thin and slanting. He has a very slender hand. And his drawing is a bit, bit scratchy, I think. He won't use paints. He says he is a secretary, and so only uses ink and a pencil. <laughs> and so, later on, he uses Ilbreth to, uh, to write down the letters that he himself dictates. And so, again, it's just beautiful how Tolkien continues to enhance and enlarge that imaginary world around Father Christmas. There is a, uh, a, a field here in the distance, uh, not far from this uh, farm, this chicken farm, and I see lots and lots of, uh, of, of Christmas, of, uh, uh, what is it? Um, snow snowman. puppets, snowman yeah. here. <laughs> this is the snowball field. And this is where the, the people of Frostbluff uh, are doing their their snowball contests. So you make you make a, a number of snowballs, and then people are hiding behind uh, the snowman, and then you try to hit each other with snowballs. So it's kind of like uh, training for the real battles. <laughs> These, uh, that is an, another thing that I like in uh, in uh, in this world. Is sometimes you see kids play, but the games they play are almost like um, preparing them for the battles later, the real battles later on, fighting orcs and, 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 and brigands. Uh, which, of course, is one of the functions of, of, of playing. It is not just entertainment, but, but uh, playing and the imaginary world and even stories bring us into an imaginary world where we can learn in a safe environment how to behave and what to do and, it, and what choices we should make in real life. And so, in a way, you know, Tolkien's stories and the stories he wrote for his children very much try to do that, convey the real meaning of Christmas. And, and I, I love how Tolkien lets Father Christmas explain that, you know, it's, it's not just about presents and it's not just about uh, food, but it's also about helping. And, and Father Christmas, especially during the years uh, that the war is raging in Europe, is doing very much that and, and, and he tells actually the children that you know not many presents this year because of the war and there are so many other children who uh, children who need my help and so I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing money right now <laughs> so it's, it's kind of nice the way in which Tolkien explains uh, to the children that Father Christmas is not just this big provider of whatever they wish for but he is trying to be um, 
honest and 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 tries to use his money to help everyone and not just you know the the children that uh, uh, Tolkien's children. So it's it's this whole solidarity aspect of Father Christmas, which I think he explains very well. Yeah, I like how he is, is conveying values to his children using this this um, letter system because it's it's it. If you think about it, he did this every single year for yes. twenty years. That that's that's dedication. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your children, and so yeah, I'm almost jealous that, that uh, Tolkien is not my father because yeah, I would l- would have loved to have to, to have to get those letters, yes, real letters from, and they would be, they would be, be sometimes even delivered by real mail. So he he he, he went through a lot of effort to 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 do this uh, to the ch- children, and also um, the I got to uh, get away from if someone is is throwing snowballs at me. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were saying? <laughs> Sorry, I got well, distracted. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the the time and effort he took just to 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 yeah make make uh, childhood interesting for his, his kids also teaches us something about fatherhood. I think. That tr- absolutely, absolutely. So he he in a, in a real way he's also talking himself his father Christmas in that in that. Hmm. And it's it, th- those letters. Um, you could you could if you're a parent. Um, it's actually a great book to read to your kids, um, and there's some lovely editions with the, the the drawings also reproduced in color. And uh, if you just take out the small parts where he's you know addressing his children, you can you can easily uh, tell these stories to your kids. So uh, there's a few other elements that uh, we see return in uh, in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Um, one thing that Father Christmas does when he gets into battle and the situation gets really dangerous and he's almost overrun by the hundreds, if not thousands, of goblins is he apparently has a golden trumpet that he... A, a golden horn, yeah. Or a golden horn and that he uses to rally up the, the supporting troops. Yes, which, of course, no. is something that we see in The Lord of the Rings when That's Boromir right. is, is fighting... Uh, the um, the Uruks uh, trying to protect um, the uh, uh, what is it Pippin and uh, and and he, so he has the horn was it the horn of the horn of Gondor of Gondor so it's very similar again and of course those that idea of the the horn is it's a medieval thing but it's even biblical so you see that as well that uh, in, in some biblical stories of war. Uh, they also use that to um, not only to to ask for help, but also to announce the um, uh, the, the approaching salvation and the victory. So it's also a victory horn. It's also what you see um, in in one of the first um, Lord of Rings movies. Uh, one, at one point, uh, there's this system of beacons, mm-hmm. and that are lit uh, to to uh, uh, announce that there's um, there's um, help needed, and also when um, and the, the, there's an attacking force, and there's there, there are yeah. just gigantic horns that are being blown, right, just to, right. to rally the, the 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 people in the city. Yeah. We even like, see like, that like in, in the Hobbit. We see we see that in the Hobbit in Dale in the movie, when Smaug attacks, uh, there are actually huge horns um, in and there, uh, the horn blowers are are in a tower. That's how big these horns are, and so unfortunately it doesn't really help because there's no one in the area to help except for the elves and they don't want to help so uh, yeah, I think that the elves uh, 
were looking like, oh, we hear the horns. Let's see what's, what's going on. Oh, it's a dragon. Let's go home. <laughs> Could be, yes. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so the, the goblins are getting more and more powerful in these letters and, and more and more dangerous as well. But then again, Father Christmas also has more and more help of the other elves. And so uh, the, the battles just grow in intensity, just like the, the type of stories that you read in The Hobbit are still very modest and small scale compared to what will develop later on in, in The Lord of the Rings. So it's almost as if Tolkien in his storytelling grows with his audience and, and enlarges the scope. I think it's the mark of a great storyteller that you begin small and then you broaden and you widen and you deepen and you add more and more layers. And that's exactly what he does in the letters from Father Christmas. In that respect, even as a Tolkien scholar or a, if you love... The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, you really uh, do yourself a favor and read these letters from Father Christmas because in a nutshell, you see the entire storytelling genius of Tolkien at work over these, what is it, 25 years that he's been writing these letters. Um, I think with that, we, uh, we've come to the uh, end of our uh, excursion to Frost uh, Bluff. Um, I'm back in the in the town now and you know this actually looks like a really nice place to sit down there's a fire here we are uh, I think in between two buildings there's some tables with bread and meat and there's just just one guy lying on the floor I think it's a hobbit and he is sick because he's been vomiting uh, yeah let's not sit here <laughs> there's it's a colleague of yours uh, on top of a keg yeah there's a dwarf on a on a beer or a wine keg, and uh, uh, well, let's let's end the story here because it, the people are dancing here, and some guitar playing, and lots of beautiful fireworks. And it's night now, so I'm looking up at the skies. I can see the starry night, and thousands and thousands of brightly colored sparks and fireworks exploding. And this is the perfect location to thank you all for listening to our stories today in this special Christmas episode. Thank you Inge for joining me and with all of us at SQPN we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and with the fireworks in the background a Happy New Year. See you soon on SQPN.com to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. Bye. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.